And welcome to another edition of Throwing Bagels. Kevin Mooney here with you and along with our two spectacular co-hosts, Jason Hamo. Hey, Jason. Kev, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks. And Chris Douglas. Hey, Chris. Gentlemen, good day. Are you guys ready? We're ready. Okay. We're as ready as we're going to be. We're we're welcoming in a a very old friend <laughs> of of the program. We go back literally, a ways. Literally old friend. Really old. Friend. <laughs> uh, it's it's our pleasure to welcome a fellow Oswego State alumnus, class of two thousand. Was it Maria? It yes. was December two thousand. December two thousand. Wow. It is Maria Leaf, currently the senior engagement editor at the Washington Examiner. Maria, thank you so much for being with us. I would never turn this down. And I don't care, Jay, you're just as old as I am. So let's not I'm forget two that. months younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking the good ear, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're all like, what? You're Maria's January. I was February. Jason's March. Chris, you're. Chris is a year uh, older. You're, you're younger. Not, I mean, you're I'm, like, yeah, I'm in March, though, as well. So. Oh, yeah. See, so first quarter. That's this, right. That's the way to go. <laughs> Uh, so Maria, you're currently, you're, you've been in your, uh, role, uh, with the examiner now for a little, for almost a year and a half or so. Um, what has that experience been like to, to jump into managing social media for, for a major well, newspaper in DC? <laughs> uh, it's a far cry from radio. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> it's a very different world. Uh, first of all, you're dealing with DC. So it's very fast paced and a lot like the WWE, a lot of people cutting promos 24 seven that you got to make viral videos of um, as they state their case for whatever they're doing. Um, but it's, 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 it's nonstop. Management is nonstop, which nobody really told me. And I figured, Oh, social media, this won't be that bad. I'm online more hours a day. <laughs> Just making sure that we're up to date because my staff is all in their twenties. And I've gone from being the youngest person in a newsroom to now one of the oldest people in a newsroom. In a like you blink and it's all of a sudden you're old. <laughs> so there's no off switch, in other words. <laughs> I'm trying to make it that way, um, but I'm old school when it comes to news, and these kids are not. So it, I'm very, you know, I have to try to teach them all this stuff. But most of the, a lot of times, they don't. The thing is, is like our Facebook is our bread and butter. These kids don't use Facebook at all. Like when I asked my team, I said, what do you use Facebook? Do you use it? Not really. Or if I'm selling something, I'll go on Facebook. They don't use it like we use it. Or maybe, I guess, you know, for social media, for catching up with friends, things like that, reading news. They go to Twitter, Instagram, other things. Mm. So you learn. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a roller coaster ride every day. <laughs> so what is that like to, to work with a... To lead a, a social media team that's full of 20-somethings. How do you relate to each other? I teach them a lot about the 80s. Because honestly, <laughs> I do. Because I actually had to teach. One of the big stories we've been covering is the Bud Light boycott. Um, with Dylan Mulvaney, who became you know an overnight sensation because of Budweiser. Um, this has been a massive story for our audience. And people in the comments, because I read every comment that's on our Facebook page. Um, to kind of get a better sense of what our audience is looking for. And, you know, people win the comments and I agreed with them to a point where like they should bring back Spuds McKenzie. 
my people have no clue. <laughs> they had no clue. <laughs> so I said, pull up YouTube, kids. We're going to have a lesson. And I taught them about Spuds McKenzie. I said, you need to have kind of this background so you can write these stories when people are commenting. You wrote a post recently about Wheel of Fortune and that the kids had no clue what Wheel of Fortune was. They don't know prices, right? They don't know Wheel of Fortune. Oh, my so goodness. What the hell they were doing when they were missing out. Like, when you're sick, what are your parents doing? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. I spend more time watching 80s and 90s game shows than I do watching new programs because they have the 24-hour channels now. And these guys don't know who Bob Barker is or anything. Like, And we prepare, obviously, for social media. One of our big things is celebrity passings. And not that I want to speak ill, but we had to get one ready for Bob because Bob is up in age. And, you know, I mean, he, it could happen at any time. Not that I want it to. I had to write that obit because nobody else knew anything en enough about him where they could really give it justice. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, I was I had become the obit writer <laughs> by default at the Washington Examiner because all these celebrities would die and everybody's like, I don't know who this is. Is so, there a reason that you guys have such a young uh, team? Um, I think it's the it's the state of the business. Um, senior folks have been getting out en masse the last couple of years. TV, radio, everywhere, because these companies, I think even especially after COVID, they don't have the money to keep mm. senior people on. So they're paying these kids to come in and learn. And I mean, this is Washington, D.C. It's a population of 8 million. It's a major market. I mean, can you imagine graduating from Oswego and coming right to D.C. in a full-time job? I mean, I, I interned down here, but there was no way. I had to work my way up, and I didn't even get down here until I was 27 for the first go-around. And I thought that was young. But these guys are practically right out of school. <laughs> That's insane. It is. It's crazy. And it's. I think it says a lot about the state of journalism. These guys, you know, you have to teach them a lot. I mean, they're willing to learn, which is good. But the work ethic is also different with these guys. It's it's very different from when we were in school. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine because like everyone's in their phone, right? I mean, we're 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 so lonely, but connected. If that makes any sense, you know, and it, it's it's got to be a total because we've run into this. I mean, you know, I don't work in media now, but I mean, we run into this in our company too, where it's like the cell phone's a problem, and it's like, no, you got to concentrate and answer the phone. <laughs> that's your job <laughs> oh we don't answer the phone everybody it's texting or email i'll be like can you re it, they have a story they're working on can you reach out to the company can you reach out to the the member of congress's office or whatever i'll shoot them an email or a text mostly it's text and I'm, okay <laughs> we're not having conversations mm -hmm. i mean now we'll do some interviews on zoom thanks to covid but i mean you know most of that it, it's it's just very different and you're right everybody spends all their time on their phone I don't know what, but these days, these kids are using TikTok and Instagram. They're looking at reels. They're not really reading. So that's been another thing, too, is learning about reels, because I didn't have a first clue about what this was all about. And now we've expanded greatly what we do with reels, because um, that's where we're getting all of our audience now. We're bringing in tons of new people this way. That's uh, Facebook's TikTok version of tiktok well, right reels yeah or instagram it's or instagram, primarily instagram yeah. but it's also facebook because it's all one company mm -hmm. but like we would we would post a three minute video and we still do from time to time if it's a highlight from a, a a show a talk show or whatever and they do okay but you got 15 seconds of joe biden walking off an airplane and you'll be amazed at the numbers you get on a 15 second video and it's you're not even saying anything <laughs> but this is where people are going they don't have time to sit there for a three-minute video it's sad right
uh, so in, in the era of social media, it's like, I see this, boom, I post it. Do you have to kind of tell the, the newsroom, don't just take whatever you see there and put, put it out there. You got to at least try to vet this stuff first. Oh, absolutely. That's that's an issue, too. But a yeah. lot of what goes on, um, it depending on what it is, we have reporters who are investigative reporters who will do their own research and everything like that. But a lot of the writing you see on major sites, you know, Yahoo and others and in ours, it's sourcing other reporters, sourcing other sources. So it's, and we run into this a lot where it's like, according to the New York Post or the Daily Mail or whoever, and I'm like, you have to take it to the next step. You can link to them if they're the initial report, but we have to verify this because you, it is very easy to get burned like that. The old days of, you know, doing all the research, there's no time for it, I think. And that's part of the problem. I have to admit, I had no idea what the hell Reels was. I had to learn pretty quick and I even still I'm like, but now like when you get on Instagram, you start scrolling and it can be an hour. Like I've, I run into that a lot. Yeah. And it learns your algorithm and it sucks you in. I do that. I I was just telling the guys before, uh, before we, before you came on, like I was, I watched some like videos on Facebook sometimes and like they eventually, they kind of just suck you in. Next thing you know, it's like half hour later. Like, Oh my God, what the hell did I just do? I just wasted 30 minutes of my life. I'm never going to get back. (laughs) There's a lot of times too. I'll have the TV on, and in the back, it basically becomes background noise because I'm looking at reels or I'm looking at Facebook. And most times, I'm looking at our page to make sure we're doing okay. But I mean, even still, it, it has become like Chris said. Everybody's so attached to their phones that everything else becomes secondary. Has anyone there heard of a police scanner? Do they, have they heard? Of <laughs> oh God, I can't even tell you. Police blotter. No, we don't even a lot of first of all, a lot of police departments now will no longer put their stuff out on scanners. Really? Everything has gone to underground channels in the last couple of years because of false reports and things like that. So now they try to push all this information through Twitter, through public information officers or through eyewitness accounts. And this is why the, you know, people with their cell phones have become so vital in that aspect because they're getting these video and reports before the cops are ready to say anything, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. But I've been in newsrooms, many newsrooms, where the damn scanner is right in your ear and all those tones and you learn which is which and you know all the codes. That is a, it's gone, gone. I don't know any newsroom anymore that actually has a scanner. Wow. <laughs> which is good for your ears and you don't yeah. you get headaches but i mean you know everything it that's just one of the ways it's changed but like i said all these citizen journalists that have taken over you know the, they can get it to you faster than the cops can well let's switch gears here for a second uh a few weeks ago the white house correspondence dinner occurred and uh the rumor is that you were there. So could you give us a little bit of insight as to what goes on? Yeah. Uh, besides, I, you know, Roy Wood, you know, taking a hatchet to everybody. Yeah, he was something. Um, yeah, I this is one of those things where, you know, the DC elite gather every year. It's nerd prom is what it's called. I have been to this now twice. The last time was early 2000s. This is these are not my people like I have. I live in D.C., I've been here almost a decade, this go around, and I've lived here two other times, but I'm not a DC, I don't consider myself a DC person. I consider myself an upstate New York person who lives in DC because there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so going to this event, I'm like, I, I'll i go, but there's an, extra t- there's an extra seat at the table. Would you like to go? I had just gotten back from Vegas. I had just gotten over COVID because I caught COVID in Vegas. Oh. 
Uh, everyone does. Who, say, who says that you can't leave Vegas with anything? I you caught you catch a lot worse in Vegas. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I did not. I was very lucky, and I had a very mild case. I wait. I took me three years to get COVID. I had a mild case. I was over it, and then I get this invite to the dinner. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. I just got over COVID. I said, but whatever. When am I going to get an invite? So I'll go. I wound up finding at the last minute a dress online that had been marked down to 50 bucks. I had $50 in old Navy cash. So that cost me a buck. I was like, <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> sure. And I'm like, and so you get there and it's just chaos because first of all, the president obviously is there. The vice president is there. All, all the major people in the white house are there. So there's security you got to deal with. Um, and you add in a cli climate protesters were all around the hotel. They're very upset with the president right now for whatever reason. Uh, they had taken to the streets. They were standing on the sidewalk. I had to walk over a couple in my dress just to get into the hotel. <laughs> it was very, it was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm really Jeez. sorry. Fight the power, but I got to get over you to get into the dinner. You know, whatever. I don't care. Protest, whatever. But luckily here in DC, because protests happen almost every day, police know how to have it under control for the most part. So it wasn't too bad. But yeah, the dinner's crazy. It, it, you look around the room and it's, politicians on both sides of the aisle mm -hmm. you have your you know your media personalities from the major networks that you look around the room you're like wait you look familiar oh wait are you so and so and then you've got your hollywood celebrities which i'm not sure why they show up because it's pretty political but whatever and it, it's kind of nuts i mean you're it's a lot of people packed into a very it's a ballroom but you're packed in tight like we could hardly mm -hmm. move at our tables it was interesting to to sit there and See, hear the speeches and the, and the president speak because I hear him speak on a daily basis. We cover him, you know, extensively, and it's usually I'm watching him on Facebook or I'm watching him on YouTube. But this time I was in the room, and it was very late by the time they let the president speak, which I don't know why they waited so late. It was after ten o'clock. Most people at this point were drunk. Uh, they had finished their dinner, and they were on their phones. And everybody was on their phones and they were sort of listening to what he had to say, but not really, because I think by that point, you know, most of my friends were people I work with were ready to go to the after parties by that point, which I did not partake in because I'm old and I went home at midnight. Um, but it was an interesting experience. I met Justin Hartley, um, who was on This Is Us. If you know the show, he and he's been on soap operas for a long time. I literally chased around the ballroom to get a selfie, um, but he was very nice. And down to earth, whereas some other the other Hollywood celebrities were not. Um, I'm sure you guys saw the pictures of Chrissy Teigen, who wore a barely nothing dress to the black tie dinner, and she had people carrying her train into the ball into the hotel. I didn't see this in person, but it was wow. all over Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, but it was it was interesting. I, I I think I'm good not doing it again for a while. Um, cause like I said, these black tie things, the next weekend I went to a hair metal festival. That's much more my speed. <laughs> um, what a contrast. <laughs> I know it is. I went and saw, you know, great white and, and, uh, all types oh of other eighties and nineties hair metal bands. That's more my speed. So Marie, you grew up in the, in the Syracuse area. Mm -hmm. Uh, when did you develop an interest in radio? Oh my. So Radio was always around. My parents listened to the radio, obviously, in the car. We, you know, I remember having like a mini, not a boombox, but like a little radio. And in the mid 80s, I remember like 1986-ish, we found 
a station that we called the kids station because at the time they were playing Bengals walk like an Egyptian. I know, sign me up for the nursing home. But that was the big song at the time. And, you know, the song and Banana Rama, I was a huge fan in the mid 80s. And this was on the radio all the time. So we were listening to these songs a lot. And I thought, you know, it, it would be fun. We won radio contests. My, my, you know, my brother, sister and I, we would win radio contests throughout the years, especially with Z89. Um, I know, boo. But <laughs> when you're in Syracuse, that was the option when you were young. Um, so that's kind of how it all started. And then in journalism, I didn't look to get into to anything broadcast originally. I kind of fell into print first in high school. And then it wasn't until I got to college at good old Oswego and I had tried out for the Oswegonian. And then I think I, I started to look into TOP and the NYO. Um, I was also doing work study at WRVO, which is where that kind of all started. So I kind of got sucked in there. <laughs> so almost too much. <laughs> so like as you as Kevin mentioned earlier, and as you just mentioned, we all went to Oswego together. What brought you to Oswego? Was it the same as the rest of us? We couldn't afford to go to we didn't have the grades to get into Syracuse <laughs> and we couldn't afford it? Or 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 did you actually want to go to Oswego? And no, I didn't know what, what the was heck your experience it was. like there. I, I didn't even know what Oswego was. I've never heard of it. And I lived in Syracuse my entire life. This is how sheltered, I guess. We we probably went to Fulton and things like that. I don't know, at, at times, but mostly we were in Syracuse or well, my family would go to Niagara Falls or, or Toronto or something. We would never really go to Oswego. So I was looking around at colleges and it was two things. One, the grades were okay. So it is what it is. So that was the first thing. I was like, I'm not the best student. It's fine. Um, I looked at um, Syracuse University. I did the tour, the whole thing. And they kept saying, oh, well, you know, in your junior year, you can do this, this, and this. Yeah. In your junior year or your, you know, maybe your sophomore year, if you're lucky, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, it's expensive. You can't do anything. I don't understand. It's like, whatever. So and the time, my best friend in high school had gotten into a Swago. And so I went up for a tour and I did the campus media tour or whatever they had. And, oh, no, you can start on these things day one. You can do all of this stuff. And it just seemed to make it make more sense. I'm like, why should I have to wait two years to do this stuff? Oh, no, you can write for the school paper immediately. OK, great. And it worked out, you know, financially and grade wise, I made it in. <laughs> And then I was able to jump right in, which was great to a point because I was doing T.O.P., N.Y.O., the Oswegonian, W.R.V.O. And the one thing I really didn't do was go to class. So I said, <laughs> no, I was. And Kevin can attest to this. Yes. I wound up on academic probation and I thought I was getting kicked out after my freshman year because my GPA was like in the ones because <laughs> I just didn't because I just got so involved that I didn't care about class. And so I I really thought I was a goner and they let me come back. And slowly that started to build up. But I burned through most of my broadcast and journalism classes my first two years. So I'm like, now what do I do? <laughs> but it wound up working out because I'm still in the business and I'm still getting a paycheck. So, I mean, and that's all that matters, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've been very lucky. I mean, throughout the years, I've been I've had my share of layoffs, but it hasn't been, you know, as many as others. And I know a lot of people, you know, they get laid off. They wind up leaving the business. They find something else. that's their passion. I wish I could. This is all I know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
so, so I'm, 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 if I lose this job, I don't know what I'm going to do. Probably go back to radio, but you know, but even radio these days, very small staffs, the pay is not there. You know, I'm very lucky to be able to do digital and I still work at WMAL, the conservative news talk station here in Washington on a part-time basis, freelance uh, anchoring. They've been very kind to let me stay on almost two years now after I left. So, you know, I fill in when they need me. It's it, it's kind of just keeping my foot in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But all of none of that would have happened had it not been for Oswego. I mean, it, it really I, I just don't think it would have I would have had this path. Overall, how was your experience in Oswego besides, I mean, obviously being at obviously almost failing out and, and being at, at the <laughs> at the media center nonstop. But joined the club, by the way, I was the same. Way. <laughs> but uh, the thing how is, was your experience me- otherwise? No, they gave me chances and I managed to work my GPA higher and higher throughout the years. But where it really went up is when I had my semester in London, my senior Mm. year. So that and that opportunity, I I don't I don't think I would have ever like had that opportunity. You know, as somebody from Syracuse, it was a big deal to go to Albany. You know, like when people would talk about like I remember distinctly having a class with Jay and he said something about the city. And I, I said to you, oh, you mean Syracuse? And you're like, no, New York City. <laughs> Again, for when you're from upstate, the city, Syracuse, Albany. Albany was a big deal. And if you went to New York, that's cool. Um, but that was not anywhere in the realm. And then here I am in London working for the Associated Press and internship. What? <laughs> and I thought you lived in the boondocks. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I wasn't. Yeah, you did. I mean, because anything upstate is just, you know. It is. It's it's a different world. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing it was with Oswego. It was the opportunity to work in broadcasting and to 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 grow my passion and to build on that and to turn it into what has been an insanely long career. And I'm exhausted, but I keep going anyway. But it's also to meet great people that I still keep in touch with um, after all these years. And, you know, and just everything about it. I mean, going to games at Romney and you know, enjoying the chicken patties and the, and the dining hall. <laughs> and then the, what was the one? Gosh, we used to Lonus and Moreland. And then they had, it was Mackin, right? Mackin, was, yep. Right. And they were the cool dining hall because you could get different things that you couldn't get elsewhere. Um, do they still, is Lonus still around? Are those, are those buildings? Do you guys know? They're yeah. still there. Yeah. Uh, I think they were being, re- I don't know if they were being remodeled or not, but yeah, I don't, I think it's still all a, a thing. And we had yeah. Tamara Cunningham on all that time ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but uh, I don't remember her really specifying if that uh, dining hall was still open or not. They are forever under construction. I mean, and that's the whole thing. It's like, I've seen the new union once. It's not the same. And I'm sure if I went back now, I'd be like, man, these kids got it made. You know, when we were doing T.O.P., we had carpet on the wall as a backdrop. And (laughs) and we were lucky that Channel 3 in Syracuse donated, I believe, is where that came from. Um, All of that stuff that we had. I mean, we had and we were there were no teleprompters. You'd write with a Sharpie on a legal pad and you write in large letters and hope that it looked okay. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and I, like I said, I haven't been back in a while. I do want to go back at some point and see the campus and get a good old cheeseburger sub and a Swigo sub. Um, but the last time I was back, it was very different because the kids don't seem to do the bar hopping like we used to. And this was pre COVID. A majority of them are closed anyway. That's yeah. That's true. the other thing too. That's I think true. Bridge Street really is just not what it was. Cause I remember many good times on Bridge Street. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I mean, no, nah, it, it's, there was a lot about Oswego. I mean, I think back on it now and it's just like they, the people say that high school is supposed to be the best four years of your life. I disagree. I think definitely Oswego that four years mm. for me. I mean, and just when you look back on it, I mean, I I'd go back tomorrow. If we could go back to the mid nineties and be on campus and, and do that kind of thing with, you know, dial up internet and a phone in your room and not having to worry about who's calling you or texting you or posting something stupid on MySpace. I mean, did we even have, we didn't even have MySpace, did we? No, we didn't have MySpace. No, that was pre-MySpace. Pre we had, we pre had nothing. Facebook. We had literally yeah. nothing. We had instant AOL, instant messenger. That's it. We did. That, that is good literally old, it. And good old finger. Do you remember this? They, oh yeah, finger like yes through the Oswego email network. Oh, whatever it was. right. Yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> That's how you found people, finger and their name, and it's like what? Sounds. So I don't remember that. <laughs> it does because Kevin and I used to make jokes about this. Oh my god! And so again, and the other thing, you know what I miss? And I don't. You guys, I don't know if you guys really took part in this, but especially Kevin and I, soft I, freshman sophomore year ordering Papa John's at like three o'clock in the morning and getting the Supreme pizza and putting the garlic sauce on top. Yes. How are we still alive? <laughs> well, let's, let's go on to what you started doing after you graduate. You kind of mentioned some of the stuff you, you got involved in uh, after you graduated from us. We will kind of give us a, an idea of like what your timeline was and like where you started and, how you ended up. So yeah, it's crazy. I basically started it. I think for me, it started when I went to London, I interned at the Associated Press. This was the spring. No, it was the winter of my senior year, winter 2000. So, you know, before everything changed. And then it's like, I got back from that and thought I have one more semester to go because they miscalculated my credits. Gee, what a shock. How many people did that happen to? Oh, you have to do another semester. Uh. Okay, fine. It was, it was easy. It was like 12 credits or something stupid. I'm like, okay. So I was like, this will be a breeze. I'll work at WRVO. I'll do some stuff at the campus media. And then I'll take these classes and it'll be whatever. And I'll just coast for a few more months and we'll be good. Nope. So I came back to campus because you could move in early back then if you were campus media or whatever. And so I always took advantage of that. And I remember going into WRVO and my boss at the time, the late Chris Ulanowski, RIP. Mm -hmm. I know Chris or uh, Kevin worked with him too. Yes. Did you? I don't know. Chris, did yes. you work at WRVO? No. I don't remember, but it, I'm old. But anyway, so he came to me and he says, you know, you can come and work for us, but there's an opportunity for you in Syracuse if you're interested. The investigative reporter is looking for an assistant. And at the time, Jean Kestner was her name. She was extremely well known. I grew up watching her. I was like, she wants to talk to me long and short of it as I got this job. So I wound up working at channel nine before I even graduated. Um, I started with her in the fall. Um, and then that quickly progressed uh, into an assignment editor job, assistant assignment editor. So I would be on the assignment desk, taking phone calls and trying to set up stories. And we started the, your story segment on channel nine, uh, which was a consumer segment. I was the first producer for that. I think they're still doing it in some form. I go, when I see it, when I'm home every once in a while. Um, so I was doing that for a while. And then Rod Wood, who was the main anchor, uh, at channel nine for the longest time, he's a legend. He passed a few years ago, but he used to always say to me, come up to the desk and be like, leafy. Yes, Rod. Why aren't you in? <laughs> Because I work in television. 
no, 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 no. You need to be in radio. You're, you you got that voice. I'm like, okay, I think you'd be a great radio anchor. And I'm like, okay, Rod, whatever. <laughs> He's like, listen, I got a contact at WSYR radio. Can you give him a call? I said, okay, sure. Whatever. Chris Weidman was his name. He's, mm. he was with the station for a long time. And he said, you know, I called him on the phone. I said, Hey, you know, Rod Wood told me to get in touch with you. Oh yeah. He already told me, you know, when can you start? I'm like, huh. Do you need an air check? No, you sound great on the phone. Come on in. <laughs> this is where I knew I this is where I should have known I was getting into trouble. So I start I so then at that point I was working channel nine during the week. I got hired at WSYR. I was reporting and anchoring on the weekends, working these insane shifts. Um, because the it, the previous anchor wound up leaving. So they wound up kind of giving me a double duty there. I was working seven days a week. 9-11 comes, working seven days a week. That was crazy obviously. And a lot of things I, I think started to change after all of that, but it got to a point, I don't know, shortly after that, I started to want to do more and I wanted to be more in radio. And then an opportunity came up uh, in Albany at WGY, the mighty 810. And uh, a guy that I worked with at WSYR had moved out to Albany uh, to be a reporter. And he said, Hey, they're looking for a morning uh, drive co-anchor. Are you interested? I'm like, Okay, um, sure, I'll come out. So I drove out to Albany uh, on the day of the Columbia shuttle disaster. My interview was. Oh, wow. Never forget wow. that. Um, and I wound up getting that job. And that I stayed out there for about a year and a half as the co-anchor in the morning news to a guy named Chuck Custer, who was old enough to be my dad. Um, but he taught me a lot. And as, as the youngest person and only female in the newsroom, I learned a lot from that experience, which then catapulted me to my first Second time in Washington, because the first time was an internship uh, in college. But the second time when I was working for WTOP uh, <laughs> radio here in D.C. Uh, on their federal government channel, WFED. And then things took off. I mean, radio catapulted me back to Syracuse, to Pittsburgh, and then back here again. <laughs> so it's it's been a long, strange ride, I guess, is that that's how the saying goes. Uh, you're, and at the time, uh, you were at WTOP. I know we go back to, uh, uh, to January of 2006, you, you received the, the, just the tragic news that your brother Bill, um, had been killed by a drunk driver who was uh, going the wrong way on, uh, 81. I mean, how did you manage to get through something like that? You don't, I mean, I'll never forget getting in the phone call because my birthday was just a couple days prior. Yeah. So I it was a my birthday was during the week. I had gone out that Saturday night with a couple of other folks that went to Oswego who had moved to DC. Uh, mm -hmm. We had gone out to dinner. I got home and I got the phone call at like six o'clock in the morning from my sister saying, and I didn't, I barely, I was like something like the cops are here. Billy was in a car accident and I could hear my mom screaming in the background, like just screaming. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the heck? And I'm like, I was like, let me call you back. Shut the flip phone, open the flip phone, dialed my brother's number immediately. Cause I'm like, this is ridiculous. No answer. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I called back and it's just absolute chaos. And I said, all right, don't do anything. I'm on my way. And I just threw stuff in a bag and started driving and started calling all the TV stations. 
Um, and and because I knew that this was this was a big deal. This was a, a, a major crash on a on a highway in Syracuse. My mm-hmm. brother at the time um, worked at WSYR on the radio, but he was also anchoring sports on Channel Five, which is what he had always wanted to do. Um, and he had just been on the air like the couple days prior. Um, so people knew who he was. Um, I drove home. This was January, and it was amazing that it wasn't a blizzard. The roads, it was sunny. The roads were somewhat clear. And here I am on my cell phone with the T9 technology. Don't tell the cops. And I'm calling and texting people like all the way up. Like I don't even, I barely remember driving home, but I just knew that at the time also my dad was very ill and he was at Kraus, I believe at the time, Kraus Hospital. Um, And we didn't want him to see it on TV. So we were, I was just calling everybody, hey, because they all knew me. I was like, listen, so this accident in 81, here's the deal. Please don't report this yet. And I was like, please don't bother my family. Don't go to our house. I said, I will handle it when I get home. Do not bother my my mom or my sister. I don't want do I don't want to see any of that. Some of them listened and most most of them listened. One did not. They tried to show up and talk to my mom anyway, and I gave them a piece of my mind afterwards. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, after that my dad passed away shortly after all of that. Um, my brother was supposed to watch the giants game with him the next day or later that day, I guess, cause it was Saturday and Sunday. He was supposed to be up there to watch the game. But as the, as the game was on, I walk in the room and they had him pretty well medicated cause he wasn't feeling well. And he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I had to, I had to be the one to explain to him what happened. Cause nobody else in my family could do it. So after this long drive, here we are. Um, and the funny part was, is I was supposed to have come home a couple of weeks prior, but Independence Air had just shut down. Remember, if you remember the low uh, cost mm. carrier, they had shut down. So my flight was canceled um, right before all of this. And I had actually done an interview with my brother on WSYR about Independence Air canceling, shutting down. Weird. So I explain all of this stuff to my dad. It is what it is. I'll never forget it. It's just, you know. Um, but after all of that, and after getting through the initial media coverage, the funeral, the calling hours where you had a thousand people show up, yeah. the cops, it was like a police procession through Syracuse, like for the burial, when we went to Woodlawn, it was nuts. Like, and the best part was, is I didn't have any time to process what was going on or write a eulogy. So I'm in the limo on the way to the church with my note, my reporter's notebook, and I am writing the eulogy as we are driving. Because that's how the only way I knew how to function, because it's like you almost go into reporter mode at this point. You kind of have to, you know, numb yourself. You can't you have to just do it. That's the thing with journalism. It's one of the things they teach you is just how to function in a, you know, a stressful situation, I guess. Um, So after getting through all of that, SYR came to me and said, listen, you know, anything we can do to help you if you want to if you're going to come back to town, um, we have a job for you. So don't worry about that. You know, they were trying to hire me almost immediately. And I'm like, y'all got to chill because um, <laughs> I need a minute. Because, again, I was working in Washington in my dream job at this point. My goal was to become a White House correspondent. I was one step away from that, the way I looked at it at the time, at least. Um, and I but but in an instant, that all changed. It's like. With Bill gone, this guy who had a rap sheet a mile long, who had who was on a suspended license at the time. 
I knew I had to take care of him because my dad could not. And my mom and sister definitely could not. So I said, no, I got to be the one to handle this. You know, and I and I remember telling as I'm standing over my brother, I said, hey, man, I was like, I'm going to get this. I don't want to use the words, but I'm going to get this guy. <laughs> don't you worry. I got this. So I moved home. I left my job. Um, they understood to a point. They, I mean, they 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 understood. They weren't, you know, they're like, your job will be here when you're ready to come back. <laughs> Not so much. It was okay. Uh, so I left D.C. I moved out a short time uh, within a month. I think I was back uh, anchoring at WSYR. And then when I wasn't anchoring, I was on TV um, talking about this case and at the time in the assembly, they were looking to, they were, they were in assembly times. They were looking to pass bills. I was approached by Bill Magnarelli, who at the time was an assemblyman. I don't know. I think he maybe still is. I'm not sure. Um, his wife taught me and my brother at Henniger high school. So we already knew them. So he came to us and said, listen, we want to try to do something about this. The, the drunk driving laws in Syracuse or in New York are awful. Let's try to work on this. Because the guy who killed my brother, they were going to give him a slap on the wrist. So I worked, I, when I wasn't anchoring, I was making plans to go to Albany, to rally, to talk to lawmakers. I held news conferences with people that I sat on the other side of the table with as a reporter. Weird. Um, but we managed to get the law passed before the end of the assembly, the Bill Leaf Brandy Woods law. Um, and it, it increased penalties uh, for repeat offending drunk drivers. Um, Brandy Woods was a little girl who was killed, uh, by a drunk driver as well at the time. Um, and there was a whole bill signing and everything. Like I look back at it now and it's a blur. Um, mm -hmm. but I still have the pen and the certificate and all that here in my apartment, um, from that experience. And, you know, it, it really, it's, it's still, even to this day, I mean, this was 2006, we're looking at 2023 now. It's still difficult. I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think I definitely made the right decision by leaving my life down here and going home because family is first. And I try to, I use that. I, you know, I, I preach that now to my employees that, mm -hmm. you know, if you gotta go home, go home. Mm -hmm. This job, mm -hmm. nah, man, go home. And if you need to take another day, please take another day. Like I, cause I learned from that, but you know, in the years past, since we, we had the law, um, we held a kickball tournament uh, for a while every year unfortunately with covid that was the end of that and just because of the way new york's uh rules were at the time it was just difficult to to keep that going but we did raise tens of thousands of dollars for scholarships at syracuse university henniger high school um and liverpool high school because we had another family who lost a drunk driver join us lost their child mm -hmm. to a drunk driver join us and we kind of combined efforts there so we were able to do good in his name people still remember because I still hear about it every once in a while at home, which is great, you know. And now, luckily, there's Uber and Lyft and and other rideshare programs that I wish were around back then, because there really is no excuse, especially these days. It's still difficult at times, but like I said, I'm glad we were able to do what we did, and I think he'd be proud. And you know, he would you, be. Yeah, he definitely would be. You you spoke about the kickball tournament, and I know we all went to it uh, at least once, and we out of the orange was there. And um, what made you decide to have it be a kickball tournament? Like, what was the what was the what was the the thought process of what you wanted to do and how you how you did, how you got it done? Yeah. So it's a funny story, actually. So right before Bill died, he had done a radio feature on a kickball league in Syracuse. And this series or report that he did, 
he actually wound up winning an Associated Press Award for like best feature. Um, so when I was talking with the folks at iHeartRadio, well, now it's iHeart. I don't know what they were before, but at the now iHeartRadio, and they said, listen, we want to do something to honor Bill. You know, what should we do? And we didn't want to do a golf tournament because it's like, eh, you know, and we didn't want to do a run because broadcast people don't run you know i mean <laughs> let's be honest you know we don't so then we thought well you know kickball is good it, it matches what he did as far as that feature but it's also something that everybody can play for the most part yeah. you know albeit we don't play it well but you most people can play it at least um so we we started it we did it for the first year we said let's just see how this goes um and we managed to get i think up to 15 years and it grew most years some years were kind of better than others you know fine but I mean, especially that first year, man, we had incredible turnout. First few, um, we had local media, we had a media trophy, and then we had everybody else. Um, so it was a great experience. And like we also, in addition to auto, we'd have local police departments come out and talk, and we would try to expand it out that way. Because I mean, at the end of the day, kickball's fine and and fun, and we're raising money, and that's great. But people have to remember why they're here. Um, and that was the whole thing we wanted to remind people of. So, you know, so we had those little things and we had, you know, raffles and all types of stuff. And it was, it was, and we had pizza, we had really good pizza. <laughs> so, you know, it was a fun experience. We'd like to bring it back at some point. I don't know. I mean, like I said, COVID really made things difficult. So I don't know, there might be something in the future for that. But I mean, we were, we're so thankful for everybody who did turn out over the years, who continues to remember Bill to share his story. I mean, that's, that's his legacy there at this point. I still have my t-shirt from oh. the, the kickball tournament that I, I've gone to, you know, so I have so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't They're know where great, mine though. is. It I should be get, around. No, I can't get rid of them. I mean, I have so much stuff and it's like, you try to clean out things. It's like, you can't get rid of those. I've still got the posters. We had lawn signs for a while. I mean, you know, we really did do a lot to try to push that out and on social media to a point, but not so much because we had actually better response with posters and, and signs, you mm -hmm. know, on the, in the medians. But yeah, I mean, it, I think he, I think he'd be proud of that. I'm glad we were able to do it. You know, we, we were, we try to toss around other things. It's just, things are also very different now too. I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of events, but I think so much stuff is now being done online with auctions and things like that. Mm -hmm. That it's like, I don't know. We'll see what the future holds. I would love to see you bring it back, you know, one time, at least once, you know, I know it's hard for you to being down in DC and being able to uh, get something like that together. Cause it's a lot of work, but let's uh, let's get Jason Smarl from the Syracuse Mets <laughs> on the line. We'll try yes. to get something going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do it at the ballpark. Yeah. Hey, that would be something if we could hey. do it. See, I call it MacArthur stadium and I always will. But <laughs> I know when that, Cause then it went to P it was PNC, PNC. Park. Yeah. I don't know. What is it now? I don't even know. NBT. NBT Bank. I haven't been since the whole Syracuse Mets. Unbelievable, right? I don't think I've been to one game. I need to do that when I get home one of these times and get some salt potatoes and sit in the stands. That was the best part of it, too. All of our sponsors that we had were always just like, when, when are you doing this next year? So we really didn't have a lot of variation. Dunkin' Donuts and mm -hmm. Camp's Pizzeria and these other ones. Everybody was always willing to come back, So, which is very cool. So maybe now that hopefully COVID is over... And we don't have to worry about health restrictions because um, it was pretty stringent when we tried. We Because we did try, but yeah. there were all these rules about you can't have people next to each other on base and all this other. And it's like, well, how are you going to play? 
Yeah, that's not yeah. the case anymore. It's pretty much, <laughs> yeah. pretty much now you can now you could do something like that. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't think, know. There's, I think it, we need to get it going again. That we could try it maybe one more time to get that 15th in. I think we ended at 14 officially. Uh, Maria, before we get you out of here, uh, we have a couple more questions here. Oh, yeah. So you you uh, came back to Syracuse to work at WSYR, as you mentioned, then you jumped to KDKA <laughs> in Pittsburgh. What was it like to work at one of the most historic radio stations in the country? It was an experience because you know what? And Pittsburgh's another place that was never really on my radar. And I didn't even apply for this job. I applied to a job at KRLD in Texas, in Dallas. Because I just knew that after living in Syracuse, after all of this happened, I got to a point where I could not go anywhere without somebody saying, that's the girl whose brother died. Or they would constantly ask you mm -hmm. about it. And they're not trying to like pry. They were genuinely trying to be supportive. And, you know, like, I'm so sorry. It got to a point where it's like, you, you can never move on. Which is why I was like, I have to leave because yeah, yeah. you can't get away from it. So I applied to the job at KRLD. And all of a sudden, here comes Katie Hay calling. Um, the guy who at the time was the program director was somebody who I had talked to about a job in Charlotte, North Carolina, instead of going to Washington. I had been wow. talking to this guy. Like I was in Albany. I was talking to this guy who worked at WBT at the time. And he wanted to have me come down. And we had been talking and talking and he couldn't make it work. And then all of a sudden I said, you know, I got other offers from WTOP. He's like, what are you talking to me for? Go there. And I got so mad at him. And I'm like, whatever. He was right. I was an idiot. I'm a kid. So then anyway, he sees my resume in this data bank and he pulled it. And I'm like, how did you find me? And he says, oh yeah, when you apply at CBS, you wind up in a data bank and everybody can just kind of take from whatever. So okay. I grabbed you before KRLD could even see it. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I go down there. I go through the interview process. And at the time it was, we'll fly you. We'll fly you in. We'll put you up at the Hilton, give you a car for four days, drive around town, see if you like it. We'll take <laughs> you to there so you can meet the staff. This never happens. So they had me right there. And Pittsburgh, like I said, it wasn't on my radar, but I'm glad I had that experience because despite the fact that everybody's, the whole Steelers thing, which... Stillers. Um, yeah, Stillers. <laughs> and the fact that the locals really don't like outsiders, like they really mm. do not. They don't know why you're here. If you're not a Stillers fan for life, I had to learn to become one because I covered training camp. I had a terrible uh. towel in a box somewhere. You know, I ha you have to play the part when you're there. Um, but at the time, I was able to live downtown in a pretty cheap apartment and right across the bridge from Heinz Field and PNC Park. And, you know, it was fun. And I've made some friends I'm still pretty tight with to this day. And it's a great it, it it's a great city. Um, not one, like I said, I ever would have expected to be in because you think of Pittsburgh, you think of like dirty and industrial. And no, it really isn't. Um, despite the whole pit thing. And like I said, you can't go into a sporting goods store and find anything besides Pittsburgh gear. Right. Um, well, they built it up. They built up the downtown over there. Yes. No, it, it became a, a lot different and it wasn't necessarily a stereotype and working at KDKA and you realize the reach that has, I mean, and they gave me a lot of experience. I was their main reporter. So I got sent everywhere. Um, and it was fun for a while and for about three years. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just got to be, it, it, it wound up ending after about three. Uh, I went to a TV station in town, uh, the NBC affiliate there, WPXI for a while, um, part-time assignment desk before I wound up in Rochester and as I, as you can't really ever leave New York State, um, I continued my tour of the Thruway by moving to Rochester, working in TV briefly, very briefly, and then outside the business, and then got sucked back in at Wham 1180, 
for all of six months. I was planning to be there for a while. And then six, and I had been applying for other radio jobs at that point because I had had an interview at Fox News Radio in New York after four years of being out of the business and said, well, if I'm a finalist for this job and didn't get it, you know, and Wham 1180 is interested in me, then maybe there's still a chance of radio. You know, why not? Started applying and had a couple of offers out West and then they didn't really work out. It wasn't, it was too far from family. I didn't want to be that far away. So I said, you know what? There just happened to be an opening at WMAL in Washington. And I said, I know of the station. I know people who work there. I'm going to, this is the last job I'm applying for. If I get it, great. If I don't, then I'm going to find something else out of the business, uh, probably closer to Syracuse or whatever. And uh, MAL worked out. And I've been with them now for nine years, almost 10. (laughs) Um, Full time for a while doing afternoon drive. And now in a part-time basis as I work for the examiner. That's quite the career. Uh, <laughs> You're telling me. I've been all over the Northeast, I think. I Maybe with the exception like of Maine. Yeah, it, it's a crazy trip. And, you know, because I was moving every year and a half for a while. I can't do that mm. anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> I don't have the energy. If you were invited to a group of, I don't know, broadcasting 101 students at Oswego, and you were to give them advice, what would you tell them? Oh, I, I actually did speak to a class once. They asked me, they didn't ask me to come back. So that'll tell you because I told the guy, I'm going to be, I told him, I said, I'm going to be brutally honest. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for these kids. Um, if I had to tell these kids, gosh, I don't know. I, I would tell them to have a don't plan. Don't do it. No. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah. Get it. I mean, it, it was preached to us, get in sales. And we were all like, Psh, whatever. I'm not going to get sales. RIP Jerry Condra, you were right. Um, <laughs> get in sales. I'm like, ah, sales. I'm going to be Ugh. on the, you know, but they made the money. If you're, if I would, in all seriousness, what I would tell these guys is you got to really want it and you got to be willing to give up a lot. And you, and it, the thing is, is that, we used to have to move every so often to climb up the ladder. You don't necessarily have to do that anymore, especially with remote work. You just got to be better than everybody else. And I don't, and I mean, in, in starting out, you just have to apply, be eager, be willing. I you, I can't even say be willing to work odd hours anymore because these kids don't. You start to give them over. You can't give them an overnight shift. They won't do it. Um, and everything's it's, automated anyway, so they don't have to. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would just be, you know, you have to find a way to communicate to people in a way that they'll understand, but in a way that they'll also trust you. Because the biggest problem right now facing the media is that nobody trusts us. Mm. So you have to find a way to make people, you know, trust what you're saying and respect that. And if you can do more work and do it faster, you know, and, and find a way to get a presence on social media. You know, sad to say, but I think it's going to get to the point where it's like, if you want to be on TV, especially how many followers do you have on Instagram is going to be a question, which is, I can't even imagine. Can you imagine? <laughs> how I would fail. How many, how many followers do you have? You're Kevin zero. How many zero. friends on instant messenger do you have? How many friends on instant messenger? You yeah, know, right? but you almost need to have that now. And that's the sad part of this. It's like, sad. you know. It's, it's a very different world. I, I I pray for these kids, but I mean, it's journalism. It's so difficult these days that I, and people don't stick around. And that's the other thing with these kids. A lot of them are leaving six months in. You got to be willing to stick it out. That's a whole other podcast right there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Like a dying, dying industry. Was that, wasn't that class uh broadcasting 108? Wasn't that the intro to broadcasting class? 
with Tina Pirasini. Something I like think that. so, yeah. Didn't yeah. Hun teach that class too? How do I remember that? My goodness gracious. How do you guys uh, remember these names? Like, this is incredible. Listen, you know, I remember Jerry Condra. I remember him. Right. I never had, had I never Mack had Jerry Condra. You had Chris Mack on, and I was like, oh my God, I remember him because I wrote a paper trying to defend how WWE is a sport. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably ripped it to ripped it to shred. Yeah. <laughs> he's the man. And that that podcast, by the way, is fantastic. If people haven't heard it, they need to go back and listen. But Thank you. Oh, it's just, it's so like, yeah, I don't know. You got to have a plan B. I don't know what's going on with this business, but you got to, it's, it's, it's moving definitely towards Instagram, TikTok for as long as that's legal in the U S um, <laughs> it's true. Cause states are shutting it down, but you have to be able to speak in short form and find a way to have people trust you and, you know, and to get anybody to it's talk about influencers nowadays. Yeah, no, it is. It almost is like you almost have to become like an inf- a journalist influencer of some sort. It's so weird for me to think about that, but it's, you know, don't become one of these carbon copy, you know, what you see necessarily on TV, because that's not what you're seeing now is not going to be where things are five years from now. It just isn't. Maria, thank you so much uh, for, for spending the time with us. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, best wishes, right, on your on your future endeavors at at the Examiner and beyond. So, and wherever well, you go next, yes. Yeah, and we'll... Somehow, I managed to stay in the business. I mean, hopefully, with this podcast, we've gone over an hour. Hopefully, you yes, can find yeah. at least five good minutes in here that you can put out to people that they'll actually want to hear. <laughs> six, I don't know. Hopefully, six, six maybe. <laughs> thirty, say five thirty, maybe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, look, SyracuseMets.com, Maria, pick a game. And we'll figure it out from yes. there, okay? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Right. Got to go and get my Hoffman's hot dog. Yes. Not Nathan's, nope. Hoffman's. And then and- we'll go up to Oswego and get some food up there. Get a sub shop, yeah. Oh, my God. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, hey, look at this. Yes. Right. Labatt right. Blue and a cheeseburger sub. Let's mm. go. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> exactly. All right, Maria. Take care, and we will definitely keep in touch. All right, you guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Maria. And that was fellow Oswego grad Maria Leaf, currently the senior engagement editor at the Washington Examiner. And yeah, that's got to be quite a challenge uh, leading a newsroom full of youngins. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. I mean, I don't know. It's to have to like teach them how to do things like, yeah. like it's one thing to you know, it's one thing to have to teach, you know, and how to do a job, but it's another thing to kind of like explain all this stuff to them because they don't have any clue whatsoever about certain things. No, is it? It's not unlike us graduating though from college and kind of being thrown into the middle of you know whatever it is. Uh, it was just kind of a different time, you know. I, I guess. The technology has changed so much, like it's it's hard to keep up with everything that's going on. And I think, you know, the way things are now, like everyone wants everything now. And it's like you can't like we, we talk about the vetting process, like does that even exist anymore? It's like, you know, mm-hmm. let's get out and get the clicks. And, and you know, if we get it wrong, we'll just take it down. Yeah. And no one ever sees the correction, the correction like the the wrong stuff goes out that goes global and then a retraction yeah. happens that no one sees yep exactly people are like edit nope sorry too late no yeah. such thing as an edit uh but you know it, it is it is hard because you have radio stations small ones 
either just shutting down the office, turn the lights off and just go satellite. There's no local presence on a lot of these smaller stations that the three of us probably would have gotten jobs at right, right out of college. That would have been for us, the place for us to start. And now where, where do they go? And now the emphasis on social media. So now it's, you know, it's, it's just totally different now. Yeah. I mean, the idea that you have to be some sort of an influencer to have Mm -hmm. any sort of, you know, poll for news is just fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is nowadays. It's influencers and these, these kids are like, like, did you hear of the, um, the Cavender twins? Mm -hmm. Uh, They're basketball players. Yeah. The twins. They played for, they transferred to Miami this past year. So they played there. Mm -hmm. They had one year of eligibility left, but you know how much money they were making uh, being influencers? Like it's, they yeah. don't need, yeah. they don't need that money. Or, I mean, they're, they're perfectly fine to do, to do this stuff and, you know, make a career out of it. We should yeah. have influencers. But, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you see the cuts all, all over the place. You know, ESPN laid off a bunch of people. Sure. iHeartMedia continues in waves to Constantly. lay people off. And I think radio is untenable, totally untenable mm-hmm. as a full-time job anymore. Like right. you just what you do what Maria does, just do it part time, get called in once in a while, you do it on the weekends. Yeah, you know, right. you won't get benefits, of course. You just get a you know, part time paycheck and, and that's it. That's the end of it. Like that's yeah, as long as you have a full time gig on the side, on the you know, yeah. that's do that on the side, that's fine. But can't it's like you can't make a full time job out of it yeah. anymore. And that that's the advice. If I was in front of a classroom at Oswego, I would say do not major in broadcasting minor in broadcasting and major in something else. Yeah. And then you can broad you can divulge what you've learned in your major mm-hmm. through broadcasting media. So you could well, be a, a specialist or or whatever just to really give your keep your options open. Well um, I think don't they have like a social media like major or at least classes that people they can yeah because I mean sure. of course that makes the most sense. And you're right, Kevin, I think that's excellent advice to give somebody. Don't tell major in broadcasting. Come on. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> We're doing this now. <laughs> Although this is very fun. I will say I would take this over radio and television any day of the week. Yes, we're we're actually paying to do this. We're not getting paid to do this, <laughs> and we're enjoying it much more. Exactly, that's right. Exactly. Someone asked me. Someone asked me. Are you guys? Do you guys get? Do you guys get have? You know, paid commercials right now? No, we just do this for fun. I mean, if anyone does want to pay us for commercials, yeah, exactly. hey, we're all ears. Exactly. Hey, throwing bagels podcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us and. And we'll see what we can do. I think that'll do it for this uh, Memorial Day week edition of the the Throwing Bagels podcast. I hope you uh, listening out there. I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I hope you had the chance to spend the time with your family and and your friends. And that's important. Like Maria said, that's number one, top of the list. One hundred percent. Work. It's just work, man. Who cares? It'll just, be there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And uh, we will talk again in another couple of weeks or so. And um, we got a blog coming up next week as you're listening to this. So stay tuned for that. I think, Chris, you're on you're on the spot there uh, for the another spot. blog. Okay, we're looking forward to that. 
And you can catch all of that online at throwingbagels.com. And that's how you can access our social media pages. And you can email us through there, all, all kinds of good stuff. So check it out. And uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. See you, Chris. Take care. See you, Jason. Adios. Adios. Bye-bye.